as a cinematographer, in terms of the language that you see things in. So say like a musician kind of understands how to put notes together. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that language in your head, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, well, I think actually, uh, yeah, there's a language, but I, it's funny, the way I kind of talk about it, and I, I'm going to have to make sense of this as I say it, but the way we, I kind of tend to talk about it with directors is we try to find a language for the film. So that, so, um, it's like each film has its own vocabulary or its own, its own way of seeing the world. So we kind of, by talking about the film and asking what its themes are and kind of thinking about the characters and just having a kind of a gut feeling impression about the film, you start to kind of have images in your head about what you think the film might look like. And I know that like, as I was saying to you, I tend to go with the director to like a, somewhere where there's a really big collection of photography. Like, like we go to maybe to the National Film School and open up all the photography books there for an entire day and just keep pulling out pictures and looking at things. And kind of you look at a picture and go, that looks like a picture from the film. Or not, and it usually won't be the whole picture, it'll just be the camera angle or the way uh, a person's head is cut off in the frame or the way um, you're seen through a window or the way, you know, so it'll be something in it that you just kind of on a gut level, you, that feels like it and, and you're, you, you know the script well or if it's a documentary, you know the vibe of what you're doing. So you kind of start to build this collage of images that you feel are kind of representative of the film. And will you have like a, an actual kind of board of... Yeah, images? I mean that's the ideal scenario is to do that and what I, what I kind of do is, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of like with Terry we kind of did it really thematically, we kind of gathered four folders of, of images that we kind of felt were uh, representative of different themes that we thought were in the film. So like one of them might have been alienation or one of them, because there's a lot of alienation, say, in Patrick's Day, how, how Patrick might feel. So we kind of started gathering photos that we felt were kind of getting to that. Um, and, and we had to kind of say four different things that we were looking for, and, and we kind of built folders of those. Um, uh, yeah. So it, it's kind of all, it's all to do with kind of identifying the quality of it, is that...? Yeah, there's kind of an invisible quality that you kind of start off with, and then your job probably a part of your job is to try and make that a little bit clearer so that you can actually have a shorthand on set so that like for example we just did these kids films and um, we shot the entire film all the films on about two lenses um, we shot on wide lenses and we shot kind of low angle and the low angle was motivated mostly by just because we wanted to see the world through the kids eyes so that we put the camera almost always at kids at, at our lead actor's eye height. Um, so there's kind of weird up angles of adults and stuff. And that kind of just felt like when you're a kid, that's how you see the world. So let's kind of put the film from the kid's point of view. And so that you, but that might be one choice. And then you have another choice about like the color palette that you'll use. And, and that's a conversation with the production designer and with post-production in terms of how you're going to grade the film. So there's kind of, there's like about say 10 different distinct areas and you kind of work on each of them so like what lenses you use um, uh, what type of, where, where you place the camera um, how you relate people to each other in the space in terms of the mise-en-scene um, 
or like there's there's so many different things, but basically you try and take each of those and you have a you have a decision or a, an attitude to each of those, and then hopefully when they all come together, then you really start seeing the film blossom, you know. And you look at hopefully you look for at any shot from the film and go, oh yeah, that's a shot from that film. And how long, kind of, in advance of shooting, do those does that happen, or does that begin? Well, ideally, ages in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, I did, did three feature films back to back over the summer, and they were we were just talking about them three kids Norwegian feature films called Gratas, which is like Little Great Fergie, which is kind of a Herbie film, except about a little track that comes to life on comes to life on a farm, and. With those three feature films, we had four weeks each to shoot them, so that's 12 weeks of shooting. But for the entire 12 weeks of shooting, we had three weeks of prep. I had three weeks of prep with the director, with just no time at all. Um, so it was really hard to try and, you know, get everything lined up right. Now, it helped that they were three films that were, you know, pretty much in the same area and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but still, it's mammoth amount, amount to work to try and do in, in that amount of time. And does that just come down to budgets? Yeah, I mean, I think budgets are a big part to do with it. Um, uh, I think it's... And, and then also, I mean, the financing of films is a really tricky business that I've only kind of been involved in once or twice. And um, I just know that, like, sometimes you're waiting and waiting and waiting for a film and then something gets a green light and you just have to go. And, and often there's kind of time constraints in that. I mean, there are... I think it was maybe quite late when we found out we were going to get the total green light and it was absolutely sure that it was happening but then it was getting into the summer and you want to shoot 12 weeks of summer so you can't delay the shoot because you're going to start losing light in the evenings and when you so you've got those kind of practical constraints so as a producer you're always trying to dance you know into the yeah you kind of <laughs> exactly yeah yeah exactly exactly um, so we were kind of a bit of a victim of um, that, but it, it was fine anyway. You know. And was that your first time that the gra- gratis? Gratis, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> was that was that your first time directing on that scale on your own? Um, well, it was the cinematography I was doing on that one. Okay, right. Yeah, okay. it was the cinematography. Okay. So there was another direct, there was a director on board already. I came on and I shot that those okay. I shot those films. Um, uh, yeah, but it was they were quite big scale, you know. Um, and what, as a cinematographer, what do you think you were strength? Um, well, I think I come from a background of documentary, so I'm quite free flowing, and I'll trust my instincts, and I'll look. For, I, I, you know, I think what happens is you plan, 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 and then you get on set and you throw the plan away. Like I think when when it's really good, then you don't throw it away, but you 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 go into it with it in your back pocket and you kind of are quite free because you've got a plan um, but you're free to improvise or react to the situation or react to the light or the you know so that you can actually because really what you're trying to do is try and capture some sort of magic and you have to be quite free to do that you can't go in with your rigid plan saying he's definitely going to stand there and she's definitely going to stand there and they're definitely going to you know because the actors might come up with something on the day um, the, a big storm cloud might come overhead um, you know, there's so, so many contingencies that you can't control mm-hmm. that actually you can either fight them, which is probably often a losing battle, or you can say, okay, so there's a massive storm cloud. How can we use the massive storm cloud to make one other scene great or to make this scene great or to, you know, is there anything we can do? You know, so trying to work within what happens. 
I think that's probably the strongest thing. And what then doesn't come as easily to you, or what do you have to be aware about yourself that maybe? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, just the technical side. Like the technical side is so big and vast, and um, that you all. That I feel like I'm always playing catch up on that. I mean, you know, um, like. And, and it's probably just I haven't done as much of it as well, I'd say. So it's kind of a lack of experience of it. Just in terms of like... Well, in terms of like really big projects with CGI or something like that, you know. I'd have done elements of that, but I haven't done massive, massive amounts of that. There's a project that's coming up now that's a little bit daunting that's probably going to happen next year. And that's a lot of CGI with ghosts and all this kind of stuff. So um, now I've done it. I've done I've just done a ghost film, a short um, so I, I have a pretty good handle on how I want to do that. <laughs> but um, that was just done with compositing and stuff. It wasn't, I guess, any, sorry about that. Um, um, yeah, I guess you, uh, yeah, it's, it always seems like um, it's a really daunting thing. And then actually when you're doing it, it's not, it's not quite as bad. <laughs> but I'm scared by it. And I suppose my fear is the worst thing. <laughs> Yeah, okay, um, so how has your approach, so from when you first started out, um, how has your approach to what you do changed or evolved or um, mm. is there a... Yeah, um, I suppose I've, um, as you go on you get... Um, get better at relying on the people around you. When you're starting out, you tend, well, when I started out, it's not that you don't tend to trust anybody, but you think you do it all yourself, and you think you, oh, I know where I want to, like even like on the smaller budget stuff that I started out on, it was so small that I was the one who placed all the lights. And then as it moves on, you, A, you can't do it, and B, there's people who are much better at doing it than you. So uh, you just need to start leaning on your team around you, and, and actually, as you go on, you find that you've got such an experienced team. You can, you know, that people are really, really good at what they do. And when you start getting those people around you, then you start being able to lean on them really heavily. And I think that's been the biggest journey for me is, and finding that actually by leaning on them, you can do way more. And they're really supremely talented at what they do. I'm talking about, you know, gaffers and uh, uh, grips and sparks and stuff like you know I work with Ado Gallagher who's really good at a lot and uh, Paul San who's a really good grip and you know when you work with guys that, who are really at the top of their game and at, in those departments then you really get an appreciation of what they can bring to what you do so you can just focus on on your uh, and are they people that you've kind of been working with now for a while yeah yeah, I mean, Ado I've been working with for a long time, and Paul, um, I just did three feature films with him, um, for example, but uh, it was a big kind of learning curve, because those guys bring so much experience themselves, that like, you might have an idea how to, what you want to do, but they probably have a better idea how to do it. Because <laughs> they've just been, they, they've, they've, got, they've got so much experience and they've got so much know-how and they know their, they know, I was going to say they know their weapons. They know their tools really well. So they know the limitations better than I would. I'd be like, I want the camera to go here and swing around there. And, and, and Paul might suggest, okay, well, I know you're looking for that, but maybe what about this? And it would take maybe a quarter of the time 
to get a shot that's just as good, if not better, you know. But I suppose that, I mean, that's inherent to everything, Joe, or that's the mm. trick of everything, that you put your ideas out and you hear somebody else and then you meet in the middle yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, has your idea of, and I know kind of you, you took a circuitous route maybe into this, but uh, has your idea of what success is, and I use that, very loose way changed uh, or yeah. do, do you start out with, with particular ideas about what you think your career should be and then does your experience change that yeah I think definitely I mean I didn't even know what cinematography was when I started out so um, I, I was kind of I only thought about writing and directing and now kind of I'm much more interested in making good films so, and I find that like, um, th there's a part of me that, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's a part of me that wants to write and direct and there's a part of me that wants to do cinematography and, I'm, and if I can get both of those, then that's rock and roll, you know, it's really nice. But the, um, I'm trying to answer your question specifically now here, so, um, just repeat it to me again. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> that it was like... How you, def had you... Oh, success. Yeah. yeah. How you define success. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have... I, I suppose when I started out, success was just getting to make films, <laughs> you know, and getting to do anything. And then now as I've come on kind of and got to work on bigger, bigger projects, um, it's really come back again to kind of, I guess, you know, you really just want to be working on quality projects that you care about. And is this, because um, I think sometimes we think, oh, I'll, I'll do that thing and then everything will change and I'll get to this point. Yeah. Is that... Well, no, I, 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 for quite a bit of my career, I turned away from stuff because, now I don't know whether this was wise or not wise, but I avoided work that I didn't think was going to be really high quality because I didn't want to be associated with it. Mm -hmm. So it meant that I actually like kind of scraped along financially for quite a while because I was turning down things that could have paid me better, but I was kind of only trying to get associated with, with what I thought was really good stuff um, and, and getting to, and, and primarily targeting feature films. So I really wasn't much interested in doing anything else. I did short films, but I saw them kind of, and I saw them as I really loved doing them, but I was in it for feature films. That's kind of how I saw it because, especially after a while, you realize you can never make any money from short films and you need to make feature films to make a living. And feature films are, you can really pour yourself into them because they take a lot of time and you've got some more financial resources and you've got the team around you who can do it all and stuff. So, so I kind of turned away from that other stuff because my long term goal was I was like, this is too small of an industry. If you get categorized as a guy who shoots this type of stuff stuff that I didn't want to get associated with then I thought that's I'm going to get I'm going to be 10 years shooting that stuff and that's what I'll be seen as doing and it's very hard to change people's perception of you and um, I think because the industry is so small so I kind of had it in my head that I'm going to be seen as the person who does this stuff and then anytime I got an offer to do that stuff I took it no matter how it paid 
and then eventually it started paying better and I started getting more of it. <laughs> and was there kind of a, was, were there particular turning points then along that way that um, made that easier? Um, turning points, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it, well, it's kind of Feast of Famine, I mean, like, like, this year has been incredibly fast for me because I, I ended up shooting five feature films, which is a lot, um, and pickups on another one, um, so, like, but, you know, that's quite a lot of shooting, um, so I was shooting almost all year long, uh, or preparing, or doing post on things, so, um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's it's kind of like it. What's what? Yeah, the real the real tricky one is to do the first one, and to do it well. Because um, for me, my first feature film was his and hers, and that was a, a documentary. So it was hard to get that. But I I worked with Ken before and Kate and Andrew, so we kind of had a, an understanding. And when we did that film together, and that did really well, it was like okay, so I've made a, I've now made a feature film, and it felt like okay, there's the legitimate post in your career yeah, yeah. but then it took a long time before I got my first feature film drama because it takes a lot for somebody to trust you with a drama feature film if you haven't done one so my first drama feature film was Patrick's Day and that wasn't that long ago um, and how did that come about? that came about actually really oddly because um, I was at a writing programme with, uh, with a film I'm working on called Six Hours and that I'm the writer-director of and uh, Terry McMahon and Tim Palmer were there with another project that they were working on and it was kind of a residence so we stayed in this place for like four or five days and we worked on each other's scripts and we had really good script advisors from the from two from the States and um, one from the UK and one from Ireland and uh, they came on board and they gave us advice on our scripts and Terry at the time I chatted with him and with Tim over the course of that those few days and we got on really well and they knew um, his and hers and they liked the short films that I had shot, they'd seen those. So then, you know, sometime later they just got in touch with me and said, look, we're going to shoot this film. Um, at the time it was called Simple Simon and um, they're like, we're going to, uh, we, we were talking about it between us and the way they put it was like, they both had one person in mind to shoot it, and it was me. And I was going, okay, well, that's really nice. Um, and I wasn't sure where they conjured it from, um, but it was really nice. I think we just had a good energy together. And I think um, they trusted that, and they liked what I did before. So it was a really good break for me, because the script was, when I read the script, I was like, shit, this is amazing. It's a really great script. And then Terry's so good with actors, and such a, such a you know, challenging guy to collaborate with. He's great, you know, he really, knows what he's trying to do and he pushes and pushes and pushes and never never stops pushing so um yeah it was that was a really big moment to try and get Pat, to shoot Patrick's Day and is there a difference just in terms of working as a cinematographer is there a difference between um shooting a documentary and a feature in your approach or in yeah I mean because in a documentary you really have no idea what's happening I mean essentially um there's no, yeah, because you, you're kind of inventing the structure on the fly, and it depends on the documentary. I mean, uh, now, having said that, uh, Ken is a supremely organised guy and is really knows what he's doing as well. So when we went to shoot his and hers, 
it wasn't like, oh, let's go out and catch something. It was like we knew what we were really trying to do. So it, that film is actually really composed in terms of the cinematography. It's very still. The camera actually never moves for the whole film. Um, and it's done with very few shots. So, and we were shooting on film, so we had to be very specific about what we were shooting. We had to know exactly what we were trying to get in the can. So it was very disciplined in that respect. But, um, uh, and we were changing locations twice a day for four months, you know, to try and get all the footage we needed. Now, when you're a cinematographer on a feature film drama, um, like that, was, that film was made essentially with four or five people. His and hers. His and hers. Yeah. Now, when you're on a feature film drama, you've got this, what I call the machine. <laughs> and sometimes it can be your enemy and sometimes it can be your friend. And the trick is to try and make it your friend and make it work for you. And the machine is like this thing that, like, if you're shooting a scene here in this room and you want to go, <clears throat> you know, 100 meters over there to shoot another shot... If you're four people, you pick up the camera, you run over there, and you start filming. Now, if you've got a crew of 60, it's not that simple. It takes a lot of coordination, and it takes preparation. Everybody needs to know what's happening, and everybody needs to be on game. And actually, what needs to happen is, probably because it's a much bigger thing, you need to have your lighting guys ahead of you, and they have to have lit the scene, or pre-lit the scene. So, the level of organization that's required is different, um, so I wouldn't say one is necessarily harder than the other, but it's just a, it's uh, organisationally it's a bigger animal. Can that be challenging then, say for somebody? Because I mean, it's brilliant, I suppose, if you go to a level where you have those resources. But if you're kind of coming from um, independent film too, yeah. was it Danny Boyle who said that when he went from whatever film he did before the beach okay. and he felt the beach just didn't work because suddenly he had this machine yeah. and there wasn't a freedom that yeah. is, is that up to you kind of how you navigate that if you like? I think it is, I mean I think the, the production itself um, will come kind of preloaded a little bit like you, you'll come on board and the, the, the producer's in my experience, the producers that I've worked with have been so experienced that they come on board knowing you're probably going to need this many lighting guys. You're probably going to need this size of a grip kit, grip kit and this, these number of grips. And you, So they, they kind of have an idea of how big of a film that it is. So I've walked onto films where I've just gone... I remember I was shooting a test for a film and uh, I, I looked over and I said, oh, there was all these trucks. And I was like, oh, they're making a really big film here as well as us doing our tests. And then somebody took the camera off me and went into one of the trucks. And I was going, oh shit, there are trucks. And there was like little six of them. And I was going, oh my God, that's all with us. Okay. And that was really daunting for me. Because I was yeah. like, <laughs> oh my God, all those. So like, it's just, and it's like, it's, it's just more people and more stuff. But it's kind of when you haven't been on... Because I, I was always the cinematographer on shoots that I was on. So I was never like... Most people kind of train their way up in other departments. And then they've kind of been on the big sets. And then they... Then they get to shoot stuff and they climb it. But I was just shooting all the time. So I was on smaller, 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 and then getting gradually bigger, bigger, bigger. And um, so the biggest sets I've been on usually are the ones where I'm shooting. And um, so it was daunting for me to walk on and go, oh God, all those six trucks full of stuff that I'm supposed to use. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm used to having like out of a back of a van. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was kind of funny. But um, but I mean it's just more stuff and it, it gives you more freedom. It does. But it it is it is 
if you're not careful, the cart can lead the horse. And I think, like, uh, um, when I, I got a mentor um, through a UK program called Guided Lights, and my mentor was Lone Scherfick, and uh, she's a, she comes from the Dogma School of Film Making. And one of the reasons I really wanted Lona was because she came from that school, and I think what they do is amazing, or what they, what they did at the time when they set that up was that, like, it was kind of the spirit of, look, the film comes first, and the film, and, and because now, I mean, you only have to go and watch Avengers Age of Ultron or something, and you'll see that, like, the, 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 the spectacular of it can take over from what's happening in the film. So that the, the, um, the kind of, the eye candy, the, the virtuosity of the filmmaking can become more important than the actual integrity of the filmmaking. And uh, it, I think it's really easy as you go to bigger, bigger films that like what you do is you say um, that, that that can take over. Like even when we were doing this film Gratas, we had long talks about how much CGI we'd use. Now, I'm in favour of CGI, but I just think if you can, I, I, just because I'm old school, I'm like, if you can do it in camera and it looks good, go with that. Like, and it's really funny to see the new Star Wars coming back doing that. Because we were going to CGI the eyes of Gratas. And in the end, we found a solution where we were able to do it all in camera. And it's just so alive. Like, basically, when you're filming it and the kid is acting with this tractor, the eyes are completely responding to the kid. And it's just so good. And it's how do so, you do that? Well, we, 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 we set up radio, radio controlled eyes, so the remote controlled eyes, and we got them set up and they move in four directions. And um, we had lights put inside them so they could turn on and off the lights. So, like, are they, is this, is, are the eyes moving as the kid is talking? As the kid is talking, yeah. So the, so the, the, eye, the tractor is remote controlled, which was always going to be the case. But what we thought was we'd have eyes and then we'd just animate the eyes in posts. Okay. But um, I was like, look, if we can do this in camera, let's do it in camera. So we kind of put a lot of effort in and did a lot of tests. And we found that, like, even though we did a lot of time, we managed to get, get it working. And it, I mean, hopefully, I mean, the film seems to be doing quite well now. So, um, so is there somebody literally like... There's literally a person operating. And, we're, and I'm going, look a little bit higher, look a little bit to the left. Okay, that's perfect. That's your eye line for him. In the close, you know, and we're doing close-ups of a tractor, and you know, we basically we had to get somebody to remote control the eyes, and they're they're not remote control, and they're an actor, you yeah. know, because you're a puppeteer, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, are. and it was yeah. like this girl Hazel Cullen who was actually in charge of the vehicles on set, because we didn't know how much we were going to rely on this, so she was like in charge of the vehicles. So when it was a remote control vehicle, well, she was in charge of that. Okay, by the way, the eyes are also remote control. Here's the remote control for it. So she had to take on the responsibility of animating the eyes of this vehicle. And uh, in fairness to her, she nailed it. I mean, she was amazing. She really, really was brilliant, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, but it's really nice. But that's the thing of, like, trying not to let the machine take over. Because it can. And I think Dogma was, like, the actors come first. You're not allowed to set up any lights. You're only allowed to use lights that are in the location, practical lights. Um, you know, so it's... it's the performance, the story, the actors, all that comes before the camera because what happens often on set or what can easily happen is that everything's waiting for camera because the, the camera side of, the, of making filmmaking is so big and so gargantuan that it's slow moving and um, if you're not careful it can, it can slow down the whole process or it can just be so domineering that the actors are waiting, waiting, waiting 
and then okay now we're all ready okay walk on say your line okay now get off and we change everything and now you know so the actors aren't acting all the time whereas dogma was designed to keep the actors fluid so you're kind of following the actors rather than the other way around yeah exactly so the actors are guiding what's happening um in terms then of uh, so writer director cinematographer is there a line that you will not cross in terms of doing all those three on the one shoot or um, is that do you is it possible to, to take on those three roles in the same I, I, it's definitely possible it's definitely possible um, and it would be kind of I think it would be fun to do it but um at the moment, I'm kind of going, you know, I I've, I've still feel like I've got quite a lot to learn um, in terms of all of those roles. So I'd be kind of, and, and the, one of the most valuable collaborations you have on set is between the director and the cinematographer. And having been on both sides of that divide, I've really seen it for myself that like working with the cinematographer, you can generate this kind of energy that you can just bring to everything you do. That on your own, it can, it can be possibly harder. Um, and also you've got somebody who you can turn to and kind of discuss things with them, uh, who's completely integral to the filmmaking process. So, um, like I'm about to go and direct something and I mean, there is a possibility that I could shoot it myself, but I'd be inclined to kind of, especially because it's my first feature film, I'd be inclined to go towards working with somebody who I know is going to bring something magical themselves and have that. I mean, why would I... Why would I not say, let's get some of that, you know, yeah. coming on board? Um, and working then, like, so when you're working as a director, how do you work? How do you, do you rehearse? Is there a, what is that process for you? Well, it depends on the, on the size of the project and the, and the, you know, what the constraints are. Funny thing is, I mean, I started off making things for very, very little money. So, actually, you kind of had more freedom there because... People were doing it because they wanted to do it, and the money wasn't the motivating factor. So when you've got no money, it actually opens up a lot of doors because you can say, okay, well, we're going to rehearse for the whole week before the shoot, or whatever, and you know, or I'm going to, you know, you can do that because people are doing it of their own will. So it's like, are you free? Do you want to do it? You want to do it? Okay, let's do it, and then that's it. But it, once you get in, once it's actually paid work and it's on a more professional level, um, then everybody needs to get paid and suddenly doing rehearsals costs you money and getting everybody there and, you know, because suddenly probably your cast aren't coming from all the same place. You get, you're probably getting cast from different places. And so the actual practicalities of it can get much harder as, you, as the films get bigger. But, but the process itself shouldn't really change. I mean, the ideal thing is that, for me anyway, I think, is that you get time with the actors to, to, to kind of play with the characters and kind of discover them in a process that's free of the pressure of the shoot. So, I, like, I mean, I, I did a film called Cluck and um, we had a group of kid actors. And what I did was I just got them to hang out together a lot and play games with them. And, because in the film, they were supposed to be a tightly knit gang and you can't have a bunch of five kids who don't know each other showing up on set on day one and pretending they, they, they really care for each other. So just by kind of hanging out with them and giving them kind of smaller exercises of kind of imagining scenes that weren't in the film and got them to play those. So they had kind of like a backstory or a relationship with each other that they could draw on then when you're playing the scenes. Um, 
um, mentors along the way in terms of people who have been. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, in terms of mentors, uh, obviously, like we had um, some really great teachers at the National Film School who were who were great. I mean, I think Anne O'Leary obviously was who's just retired recently from as head of the National Film School was fantastic. She she uh, she was the one who kind of said, "Hey, check out cinematography to me," <laughs> which was great. Um, uh, so I think yeah, I had a lot you know a lot of help there, um, and then I obviously had Lone Sherfik as an actual mentor. But also I would say that like people who were just a few years ahead of me, like I know that when I went onto film sets for the very first time, I knew nothing about lights, knew nothing about camera, knew nothing about how a film is properly shot, except what I had done myself in my own garage. So, um, I mean, on those sets, the first few films that I went on to, um, Tom Comerford was the DOP. And um, I learned a lot from Tom because uh, he was experienced and he was really good at what he did and knew, knew so much. Um, so kind of just helping out Tom, like helping him move lights and stuff, I kind of was watching what he was doing and picking up a lot of stuff. Of, um, and also kind of how he treated the people around him and how he worked with them. I was really inspired by that. He was, he's a really good guy. And how, how was that? What, what was that? Well, I mean, I, I was on set the very first time. I just wanted to get on set to do anything and I ended up... Uh, holding a boom pole. Um, now, I was supposed to be doing boom up, but the person who was in charge of the sound found out that I hadn't been on set before, so they wouldn't let me hold the boom. So they operated the boom and recorded sound at the same time, and I was only allowed to take notes. So. And was that like I'm I'm completely ignorant to yeah. the text? Like, is that you know is. Was that just somebody being awkward? For I, think so. yeah. I think so. I think so, yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, anybody I get on set, I try and give them responsibility rather than take it away from them. Because especially if somebody's there and they want to do it, they're doing it for free. I mean, you know, unless you're a moron, you're going to try and do your best and at least give them a shot. That's what I'd say and see what they've got, you know. But um, I think, you know, we were all inexperienced at the time, so I would say the same for that person, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean... Because then they ended up booming and recording sound on their own, which I think is probably quite tricky. I'm not enough of a sound expert to know, but I'm sure if you guide somebody, you can probably do better. I, I don't know. Maybe not. But anyway, I wasn't given the responsibility, and uh, so I was just taking lots of notes, and I was trying to really impress. So I was taking really detailed notes and being very good, and uh, Tom was shooting the film, and uh, he... Uh, he was, while he was shooting the film, they were kind of understaffed, undercrewed. So I would help them move boxes when, when they were under pressure. We were moving to another place and I'd say, look, do you want a hand to move the lights? And he'd be like, yeah, cool. So I'd just carry lights because I saw they were running around. So, and at the end of the shoot, he said to me, thanks for all the help. And I was like, no, it's no problem. I said, look, I was free. I was only taking notes all the time, so it's no problem. And then when his next shoot came along, he asked me if I wanted to be a trainee on, on the shoot. And I was like, great. So, first of all, he had noticed that I had made an effort, and I thought that was really nice. And then second of all, he was really respectful of everybody and tried to empower the people around him, which is something I hope I've taken from him as well, that you try and empower those around you. Because when it's happened to me, I've responded, so I think it's, it's the way to do it. Um, advice to your 20-year-old self. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> Advice to my 20 year old self. Yeah. I was trying to think, how would I answer these things? You know, so it's really funny, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Advice to your 20 year old self. No, it's like, it'd be like, go for it, go for it. Um, and I think, I think um, you know, trust yourself a bit more because there's this things that I've done that I have been slow to do. Um, and I think, you know, because there's, see, there's this thing like the industry and there's like a way to do it and there's all this kind of stuff. And when you, when you kind of get into it, it's so organized that you end up thinking you need permission to do it. Yeah. You, need, you need somebody ahead of you, somebody bigger than you, somebody with more experience and more responsibility and more power to say yes. Now you can do it, and then you do it. And I don't think that's the way it is anymore. And I think, you know, um, I, I, there's been a couple of times when I've waited too much for, for permission. So I, my only, my only uh, I, other than what I've done, which I'd say, go for it, keep doing what you're doing, because it kind of works. <laughs> so, um, so I'd be kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, and back yourself and all that kind of stuff. Because I think, it just back yourself. But it's also like, yeah, and take those risks. Don't be afraid of like, you know, something screwing up because um, it's worse not to do it. Um, the biggest challenge about what you do, what you find most difficult? The biggest challenge actually is probably, like when you, as a cinematographer, you're kind of showing up for somebody else and when you're as a director, you're showing up for the project and stuff, that's all, per that's all fine. It's probably writing at home is I think the hardest thing. Is that, um, I was chatting to Tom Hall last week and he said that writing is torture for him. Mm. Is, does that come easily for you? Uh, it's not torture. It's, um, it's not torture because it's really rewarding when it's going well. Like the other day um, I got locked out of my house and I ended up going and sitting in a pub and having two hot whiskeys and writing for the day. And I got some, I was really, like, I was rewriting some scenes for six hours and I got some really good stuff and I came away going, oh, wow, that was brilliant, really happy. <laughs> it was like, it was all the kind of stuff that I've been kind of needing in the script. It's like, oh, this is great, this is great. So it's, it's not torture, it's not torture, but it's lonely and it's hard on your own um, to do it. And I, I'm a kind of a social animal and I kind of, crave other human beings <laughs> even if it's, to if it's to have an argument with um, I, I prefer bouncing off other people and the energy that I get when I go oh we could do this and, and then wait wait what happens if that happens and they go no no that's stupid you know da, 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 what about this way and, and like, I like that play so that's why I love working with actors and you know on the day kind of changing the scene going oh no look what happens if we move it here and we do that and, like I love that energy the kind of raw creative energy but when you're sitting on your own, it's hard kind of to generate that sometimes because you're just sitting on your own and you're kind of going, I've looked at this scene how many times and now I've, I've got to rewrite it again. And there's some, there's some, for me, there's kind of some fundamental questions that I think, you know, I mean, everybody's got their limitations and I think as a writer, I have my limitations and it's kind of coming back, feeling this is the thing I'm not really good at and now I'm trying to fix it again and I'm kind of on my own doing it. That's hard. That's hard. And within that, then, uh, would like, you know, say you, you have an idea for a story and you have kind of the, the narrative structure, 
kind of give an idea of where that's going. Would just devising actual actors be something that would interest you? Totally, totally, it really would. But it's it's a really strange process that because what can happen is you can end up going and having a bunch of fantastic scenes, but they don't mean anything. So it's actually like I love. It's actually I think it's actually probably the way films should be made. Um, is that you kind of write something rough and then you improvise it with the actors and you get the scenes. But the thing is, uh, you need to really have a shape of what you're trying to do. Like, I, I don't know how that process works personally because I haven't been successful at doing it. I've kind of tried to do it a little bit and I've done scenes where I've gone, that's an amazing scene, it's a really great scene. But it's a very hard way to build a movie because... Um, it can either feel episodic unless you know what the destination of your movie is when you start and a big part of the process of what you're talking about kind of seems to me to be that you talk with actors and they generate a character and then you come up with a story based on these characters that they're generating but uh, if you don't have a great story you're going to have quite a limited audience for your film because it's going to be really interesting characters not really doing much. So my... My origin point for stories is, has, for me has always been a dream. Um, like I have dreams and then I wake up and I go, okay, what the hell is that about? And I'll just write down some aspect of it or something strange from it. The, the, usually an image that struck me and I'll build from that. And what I'll build is I'll build a narrative. I'll build a plot that interests me, like a story that I'm going, oh, wow, and imagine if it was there, and imagine if that happened, imagine, oh, that sounds real. And I, get, I just get excited about that. And then I go, okay, but who are these people? And I think that's my process at the moment. Now, I'm not saying I'd be... But then I kind of dig in to try and find out who are the people that live in this world that would kind of do these things and behave this way. And... Uh, that's been kind of how I've, I've done it. Um, and I have sat down with actors before and just generated characters and tried to write something. But I end up going, I end up having a bunch of stuff that it's really hard to shape afterwards. Yeah. It's kind of a bit amorphous. And then you kind of look at it and go, is that film worth making? Well, I don't have a really good story. I do have interesting characters, but I don't have a good story. So... You know, now I'm, I, I think I just don't quite know how to do it. I'm not saying it's not the right thing to do. I think it's probably a richer way to do it if you can do it. Um, are, there, are there filmmakers who do that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, is it... Um, not Mike Lee. Um, what's his name? Does Mike Lee do it? Mike Lee might do it. It is Mike Lee. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's two guys I always mix up. Ken Loach and Mike Lee. And I know one of them does that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, um. Is it Mike Lee? No, Mike Lee. It's Mike Lee who does it. Okay. Yeah, it's Mike Lee. Um, yeah. So um, he does that. He does that. And he makes a lot of films and he makes them very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, I really admire that process. Because he does make some great movies, but he makes some real stinkers as well. You know? And is co-writing something then is that yeah I mean that's kind of something I'd like to get into but it's but the tricky thing is you have to find somebody who you feel it, you can really work with I mean I'm kind of on the verge of maybe doing that with somebody now um, 
and I think it's probably what I, I'm a slow writer and I'm I'm really good at certain aspects of it I'm really good at plot I'm really good at making an exciting story with, with really exciting visuals and that the visuals tell the story so you can usually watch any film I've ever written you can turn off all the sound and you totally get the story like the first film I did out of college out of the blue is eight minutes long and there's no dialogue and for me like I know Hitchcock used to say write the, we, we sit down we write the script once we're happy the script is working then we add the dialogue and then we shoot the movie and it's possibly it's because for me film is such a visual medium that like and maybe it's because of the training I had at the National Film School it was quite visually oriented and um, so I like a movie that moves <laughs> you know yeah. um, and, a, and a movie that's like not two people sitting down having a conversation in a sink you know or, or and if they are I want to know there's some action associated with it. Like, I, I like people to be active and doing stuff rather than... Now, having said that, I mean, I love Richard Linklater's stuff. I love, like, there's loads of... But that's those, a, kind, of, those yeah. kind of movies are amazing. But that's, a, that's another craft. And it's almost like capturing either reality or capturing a play. And then I suppose, didn't he... Maybe I have this wrong. But doesn't he often improvise the dialogue with before sunrise that was all improvised yeah that was all improvised but you look at the structure of the film since and they've got much better I mean the the most recent one's an absolutely stunning piece of work it's a the names are so similar you keep jumbling whatever the most no 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 there's like before sunrise after sunrise and then um, before sunset is there something before the third one anyway yeah the you know, the, no, the third one is when they have kids and they go to... Yeah, I haven't, and I haven't seen that That's, the, that's yeah, the best yeah, of all. It's one, yeah. utterly stunning. It's but so, I, so good. It was the best movie I saw that year, without, without a doubt. But I suppose then, in that, if he's still working that way and if he's still working with those two actors, they've probably gotten better at that way. Totally, and I know that those actors are a big part in generating that material for mm-hmm. them. Like yeah. they, they collaborate together. And that's a great... That's, I mean, that's a... And I, I'm like... One of my favorite directors of all time, I know, you know, Ingrid Bergman, Ingmar Bergman, sorry, he wrote, like he wrote the plays, but he worked with the same actors over and over. You know, he kind of, and what he would do is, you know, in the winter months, he would put on plays with this, with his drama group, and then in the summer months, he'd go out and shoot a film with them as like his time off, you know. But he worked with the actors that he had been working with all the years, so he built those relationships and he was able to, you know, and he's probably cooking away on the script while they were doing the, the plays and then went out in the summertime and shot the films. Did you see um, Through a Glass Darkly? The play recently? Yeah. 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 I did, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Really good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, really good. Um, uh, so, yeah, those filmmakers then whose kind of work you seek out, he'd be one or are there? Oh, ones? totally. Yeah, there's yeah, quite a few others. I mean, you kind of always. Um, learning from from you know the masters as I'd say the, um, so Ingmar Bergman I think is the most brilliant student of human relationships and that's why his films are so good um, uh, yeah he's he's brilliant I really love I really love Woody Allen's films um, and Andrei Tarkovsky um, would be also another I mean visually and just kind of the, 
kind of poetic sensibility of Andrei Tarkovsky's films is really, really powerful. Or even something like Stalker. I mean, I think they they shot that the movie Stalker, and then they had all this big budget, and then the film got destroyed in the baths in the processing. So they had to go back and shoot it again, but they didn't have the same resources, so they had to shoot it without all the paraphernalia that they had in the first version of the film. And it's probably a richer film for it. It's like the way, you know, Jaws, the shark, didn't work when they went to shoot it, so they had to use other things to try and convey it. I mean, Stalker's an absolute masterpiece, you know. Um, so I kind of, I'd look at the films of Andrei Tarkovsky kind of for the poetic qualities and kind of how a film communicates something beyond words, something that you actually can't capture in words, that like, you get it in this, the spaces between the words and a poem, you know, like, when you read a poem, it, it's not like prose where you're kind of, this means this exactly, and you get all, the, it's like it's in the spaces between and the kind of, the dissonances and the kind of congruences of the, of the, of the words where you kind of go, where the strangeness lies, that kind of push your mind and your imagination and your heart to kind of, see something beyond what's in the words uh, and I think the pictures of Ingmar Bergman or the pictures of uh, Andrei Tarkovsky do that they bring you to a kind of a strange place where you confront something that would be hard to write down on paper um, and in that then kind of flipping back to when you studied philosophy, um, have you any sense of how that informs what you do now? Yeah, and it's kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of an ongoing process um, because I think what happens is, and I, I remember reading somebody saying before, you know, you know, for years and years and years I wanted to write. And then eventually I started writing and I realised I had nothing to write about. And the, I think with the, the thing with filmmaking is you're trying to learn how to make films for years and you've got these kind of stories that you want to tell and stuff. And then it comes to a point where you're saying, yeah, but what am I really trying to say? And what's the film really communicating? What's, what's, what's the, <laughs> for want to sound wacky, uh, um, what's the deeper aspect of what I'm doing? Like, why am I drawn to make films? And it's not about putting nice pictures on the screen. It's not about just telling stories, I mean, uh, that amuse. It's about trying to communicate something, yeah, of your soul. Trying to communicate something of your soul and, and how you feel about the world and how you think how you think the world is and how you think the world might be. And, and, uh, so, I mean, I think philosophy, what it does is it gives you, um, a really good structure to ask those questions that when you come back in as a filmmaker, you can, you can ask those questions of your film and say, is there some consistency here or is it just a bunch of stuff?
because often you see films and you're like, I, I like, I, I'm gonna, I might be called out on this, but you know, I watch something like um, True Detective, and I would go, you know, really impressive, very interesting. This guy quoting Nietzsche all the time, and and at the end of it, I, I don't know what to feel. I mean, I, 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 I kind of have this impression of like, I have a slight impression of Emperor's New Clothes. You know that it's like you get a guy, you get him to spout all this Nietzschean philosophy, and you go, okay, now it's deep. And I don't really know what that show was trying to tell me. You know, I don't really know. I, I didn't come away with any f a deeper feeling from it. You know, um, now I know it's people really like it, but I kind of was like, I kind of felt a bit hollow, and I felt more hollow for the fact that it spouted all this philosophy and didn't really add up to anything. You know, that's what I felt. And is, is that in any way perhaps, um, I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you see things that, that leave you with that feeling, whether it be music or theatre or films, is that um, anything to do with that person trying to make you feel something or trying to make you think something? that's kind of what you're reacting against in that way. So when you say you're, you're asking questions or, or you're asking questions of what you've just made, mm -hmm. um, as a filmmaker, is it your job kind of just to ask the questions and not to... Provide all the answers. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, I, I would think it's... it's very basic and probably quite obvious. Yeah, well. I mean, I think it's... I think it's... I mean... In asking the question, you try and you're kind of going, you're kind of like, you're trying to like being honest. You're kind of usually asking questions that you don't know the answer to, and that's why the question is so bloody interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you know the answer, then I would say don't make the film. <laughs> you know, so but it, it it puts you in this dangerous territory, and I think that's probably where you need to be, where you're kind of going, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to try and explore it, and I'm going to kind of dip into it and swim around in it, and you know, confront these questions that I have about whatever it is and and see what I feel and, and, and kind of explore my feelings about it but also and, and lay them bare, you know, and, and try and be honest about it. And it's also, but then when you do that, you find that like, there's usually other sides of the argument. So if you really want to explore the idea, you've got to present all the arguments and that really throws it open and that's the process you know so as, as you're kind of digging into the theme or you're kind of uh, you know digging into the character this is the kind of stuff that comes up that's kind of what I was talking about with my scene yesterday you know was like that you know you're trying to yeah you're trying to explore what's going on in the film and I think especially because I start with a dream which is completely like probably the worst place to start. It's like, what a dream. It's like, it just completely comes randomly out of your unconscious that you really don't know what you're going to, to explore. You know? And then when you... So the first part for me is to say, okay, what's this film asking? What is the theme of this film? What's, what, am I, what, am, what am I instinctively drawn to questioning here? And then I kind of try and find that and then I try and explore it as honestly as I can. And just, like, a stupid question. Um, but... Like when you're talking about like responding to dreams or, or things in a subliminal way, um, it's kind of the, the same way we respond to music, maybe. 
does does music play a part of your creative process? Yeah. And, and who are those? Yeah, um, totally. I mean, I think um, what the way it usually happens for me is that there's music that belongs in the film, and that I would kind of say. I would kind of hear a tune and go, oh God, that's the beginning of the film. Or I would hear a tune and go, oh, that's that scene, there's that scene. Um, or, or particularly the end of the film, like just the kind of, the way music makes you feel when you hear a song and you go, that's how I should, when I hear this song, that's how I should feel when I walk out of this film. You know, and, I, and, it's, and it's really good in that sense because it's in that kind of, poetic space where you, you can't really put it down in words but you kind of play the tune to somebody and they get it yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, so you kind of there's a, an understanding that you can't articulate yeah um, yeah uh, and who are those like are there are there particular well with the with the it's really funny with the film I'm doing at the moment it seems to be kind of all like uh, like female musicians and stuff so it's like uh, stuff I'm listening to is like Florence the Machine and Sinead O'Connor um, they're particularly kind of I, I kind of have that stuff on a loop at the moment for the film I'm doing because it's kind of a strong female lead but it's there's a couple of songs from those artists that are kind of keep coming back and going yeah that's the scene that's that feeling you know um, and then I just in general I kind of you know uh, it's nice to write with music in the background, but if you put on the right type of music, it can really help you. Yeah, it helps me write. Kind of like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, if it all, if, if this didn't exist tomorrow, then you'd go and do something else. Mm -hmm. What would that be? Um, what would it be? Can it, can it be something cool? Like be a painter or something? Yeah, then I'd be a painter. I thought you meant if I have to do a job that I don't like. You say, oh man. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be nice to be a painter. Okay. Kind of get a buzz at being, or a musician. Do you paint? Or do I you do, play? I do, yeah, I do paint. I do okay. paint. Um, I do, but I haven't done it for a while and it's now it's made me go, oh yeah, I should do that for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think painting would be probably what I'd like to do if I couldn't. Or, or musician. But I, I don't know if I have enough skill at either of those to get away with it. But do you play? <laughs> do you play I, I, I used to play the piano a lot, but I haven't played for a while. But I bought an a electric, electronic keyboard recently. So oh, was, okay. And my housemate has just emailed me a, a, a piece of music from Bach. That I, he's like, oh yeah, you should start with this one. I was like, okay. so. My brother just bought an organ in the charity shop. So Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I don't know what's ahead. Yeah, but I think it's a really nice thing to do, and even like as a kind of a, I think it rounds out your day if you can pick up an instrument and play some yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. I you was know. at um, Colin McNamara in Baker Street. Oh wow! And it was. It was just. Um, I think what when you see, you know, because all there's there's no words. In that music, yeah. and when you hear it kind of on CD, um, clearly when you're listening to, say, Florence the Machine, you identify whether she's singing, you know, but when you see this in front of you, and suddenly, like, because it was a 15 piece band. Whoa. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful, it was so weird. But um, I think that's kind of what's arresting about seeing that live, that sort of music live, wow. because suddenly you can see, oh, there's that sound yeah. that you don't. 
really identify when you're just listening. Of course. Um, it blends in. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, and that just seems like a very cool set to be involved in, you know, because like, you know, Nancy was there and Damien Rice was there and Martin Hayes was there and we're all kind of jamming. And, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so that would be a good job. Yeah, I'll, I'll take be, that one. Be a <laughs> Where can I sign up for that yeah, one? Absolutely. And they're all kind of just pitching in on yeah. you and they can't, you know, they can't just Yeah. But see I think and I see I think that's what happens on a film set when it's really working. Is that like there's a kind of an energy there yeah. that comes in this kind of creative flow that actually just goes back to being a kid and now it's harder with the big machine because you've got to prepare. But once you're prepared, I think there's room for that if it, if the machine's not too big. You know, that you can actually have this kind of fluidity and if everybody knows this is how we're gonna make this film. You know, there is that there is, there can, yeah there can be that kind of you know creative buzz of like okay I'm on yeah. Go, yeah 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 exactly exactly run with it run yeah. with it you know yeah. Yeah. and you can and just because I think you need that because if you're if you're going on set and you know exactly what's going to happen and you're just going to play it all out you're already kind of dead like you have to be surprised you have to be alive in the moment you have to have it exploding your fucking brain when you're watching it and you're going, whoa, wow, okay, you took me to a place that I didn't expect to go, okay, that's, and now somebody's going to get to see it in a cinema and sit and watch what you just did, that's magic, you know, whereas if you're going in going, here's the lines, okay, you said the lines, you said them very well, you shot them very well, you did, it's kind of dead, you know what I mean, it's kind of dead, so it's trying to get that kind of risky energy. Um, yes, okay, listen, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome.